welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 9th of January 2011, entitled Five Minutes After Midnight, and the Bible reading is taken from Psalm 119, verse 62. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. Lovely to be uh, amongst you all again this morning, and um, we'll have to turn to Psalm 119, and... Um, like to stand as we uh, just read one verse. Psalm 119, the verse is actually at the back of me. But uh, if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there, please feel free. Verse 62 says, At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Please be seated. I'd like to share a message this morning that I, um, I shared with... Um, some uh, folk on Monday night at Oscott Village. And um, I'm sorry, but I can't promise you any chocolates after this meeting. But um, there will be some coffee and tea and the biscuits at the back. But I can promise you this, that if you will take God's word here this morning and apply it to your lives, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, God will bless you. And the title of this message this morning, it's a short message, it's entitled Five Minutes after midnight. Now, I'd like to ask a question. Um, I know there are some that were at the meeting on Monday night. I know uh, um, Anthony was one of them, so you'll probably know exactly what I'm going to say this morning, but I know there's one or two that weren't there. And uh, anyway, it's God's word that he can uh, bless us twice, can't he, with it. Uh, But I'd like to ask a question. Do you remember where you were last Saturday morning, five minutes after midnight. Now, when I asked this question on Monday night, okay, this is New Year's Eve into the new year, one lady shouted out, she said, um, she says, yeah, she says, um, I was asleep and awoken by all the fireworks. I suppose quite a few people were, weren't they? But um, I know that there were many people here on New Year's morning, five minutes after midnight, what were you doing? Well, you're basically giving thanks to God for the last year, for praising him for how much that he's blessed you and he's brought you through, and you're looking forward to the year 2011. And uh, although a collector and myself had to leave uh, a little bit early before all the fireworks started to go off, we were doing that back at home. And uh, we were giving thanks to God and just saying how good God has been this last year. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Oh, yes, it does. Let's just turn Psalm 92. <clears throat> says, verse 1, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. You know that if you want to keep and stay encouraged in the year 2011, the one thing that you need to do is you need to keep giving thanks to God. Because there are going to come times in this new year where you're going to get discouraged. There are times when there are going to be problems that are going to come into your life and you're going to start dwelling upon those problems and you're going to take your eyes off Jesus and you're not going to be thankful at all. But you know the Bible says that it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. And if you can keep thanking God through this year, you'll keep encouraged. You will 
because your eyes will be upon Jesus and what he has done for you. It's wonderful. You know that the Bible has quite a lot to say about midnight. It's actually mentioned in the scriptures 13 times. And I'd like just to give um, three examples of that word being used in scripture, midnight. And the first one we can find in Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. And midnight here signifies a late hour, okay? Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. I don't know what time that you go to bed. Um, when I come home from work, I usually um, like to have an hour or maybe an hour and a half, and sometimes I can't get out of bed. I'll stay in there for two hours, and I get up about half 11, and I'll be up maybe for another couple of hours. And um, that, I just find that, that that helps me. But I'm, I'm up after midnight um, quite often. Um, I'm very tired when I come home. But it is an, a late hour, uh, midnight. And let's just have a look, 11, chapter 11 and verse 5. And we see here that the disciples were asking Jesus about prayer. They were asking the Lord Jesus for him to teach them about prayer. And if we take it up here at verse 5, he says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine is in his journey, is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. And uh, we know here that it's talking about praying and keeping praying, keeping in prayer, not giving up. But we see here that it was a late hour where this uh, person was going to ask his friend for free loaves because this person had, made a, uh, had been on a journey and he was going to stay there that night. It was a late hour. The Bible tells us here that it was midnight. But not only does midnight signify a late hour, but it also signifies judgment, a time of judgment. Just turn to Exodus chapter 11. And here we have the story uh, of Moses. And uh, God had told uh, Moses to go to Pharaoh and to tell him what was going to happen if he was not going to let his people out of Egypt. And uh, we take it up, chapter 11 and verse 4. And it says here, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beasts. And verse 6, And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. And we see here that midnight signifies a time where God is going to bring judgment upon the firstborn. From the top, from Pharaoh's firstborn, all the way down to the maidservant. It's a time, it signifies a time of God bringing about a judgment. But I want us to look briefly at the third thing that midnight signifies in the scriptures, and that is the Lord's return. And I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. <clears throat> and here we have uh, the story of the ten virgins. 
We're going to take it up in verse uh, 1, chapter 25 and verse 1. And um, here we have the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. And he says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Okay? Signifies the Lord Jesus Christ. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took, took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Okay? They got tired of waiting for the bridegroom to come. And verse 6 says, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. So midnight here signifies the coming of the bridegroom. It signifies the Lord Jesus Christ's return. There's another verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a what? A thief in the night. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns... He's going to return at a time where people are just not going to be expecting it. People are going to be carrying on. Maybe Christians are going to be just carrying on, doing their own things. Things that are not pleasing to the Lord. You know, like it was in the days of Noah. We're going to be non-Christians. haven't got a clue what's going to happen. Bang! It's going to hit them. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and people are not going to expect his return. It's going to happen at an hour where we're going to think it's not going to happen. Nobody knows the day or the hour when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And there are going to be people that are going to be caught unawares. Oh, yes. He's going to come at a midnight hour. I wonder this morning, do you really believe, do you believe that Jesus Christ could return in 2011? Do you? Do we? Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that he could come back this year? Would you be ready if he came back in five minutes? Would you? Would I? It's going to come at a time where we think not. Unexpected hour. So if midnight can refer to the return of Jesus Christ, the question I have this morning is, where would you be five minutes after midnight? Where will you be five minutes after the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Well, the Bible makes it very clear that you are going to be in one of two places. You are either going to be in the glory with the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're going to be here in great tribulation with the Antichrist. I'd like to deal first this morning with the Christian. Because if you are a born-again Christian, 
The Bible makes it very, very clear that when the Lord Jesus Christ makes his return, that you are going to be with him in glory. Isn't that encouraging? Wow, I can't wait for that time. What an hour that's going to be. Now, there are many different um, ways that people try to interpret the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. People that are born-again Christians, people who are theologians. Um, But I would like to just bring to you here this morning the view of Bethel, Bethel, Bethel Baptist Church and what we believe about the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because here at Bethel, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to make two appearances. Okay? Two appearances. The first one is when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for his saints in the air, in the clouds. Let me just bear that scripture out for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you'd like to write some of these scriptures down, maybe um, these may be new to you here this morning. But um, this is uh, the view here of Bethel Free Baptist Church. And uh, we believe here that the first appearance that the Lord Jesus Christ makes is going to be in the air. Okay? And um, it says in verse 14, it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And then he says, verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What does all that mean? Well, to put it simply, what's going to happen is that when that trumpet goes, the Bible says that the dead in Christ, those who have died, who have been Christians, will rise out of their graves. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be supernatural. They're going to rise from six feet under the ground. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that we which are alive and remain, those who are Christians, like some of you here this morning, the Bible says that we will be caught up together with them together in the clouds um, to meet the Lord in the air. That's basically that's what's going to happen. We call this the rapture. Now, you won't find the word rapture in the scriptures, but where you find that word caught up, the Greek word is harpazo, which basically means to be taken by force to be caught away. And that's what we mean when we say rapture. This is where we get the word from. To be caught up, to be translated out of here, to be taken away. And the Bible says that when we are taken away, we're going to meet the Lord and it's going to be in the air. Wow, what a day that's going to be. 
What a day that's going to be. After this has happened, we believe that the Bible teaches that here upon the earth, there's going to be a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. We're going to have a look at that in a few moments. But it's a time, dear friends, where you don't want to be here. <laughs> you, do, you just do not want to be here upon this earth. It's a time that this earth has never experienced before. And after the seven-year period, we believe the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to make his second return, his appearance. But when he comes, the Bible teaches that he's going to be coming with his saints and he's going to be coming here to the earth. The Bible actually says that he's going to place his feet upon this earth. Let's just have a look at a couple of scriptures. Zechariah, if you go back to uh, Matthew, then you've got Malachi, and we've got Zechariah. And what a prophetic book this is. Chapter 14, and I'm going to read um, <clears throat> five verses here, but it's speaking about the day of the Lord. Verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Remember that Zechariah was talking to his own people, to Israel, to the Jews. And it says, And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravaged, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave or divide in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And then it says, And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. So there you have it. That's basically what's going to happen after the Christians have been caught up. What's going to happen here upon the earth? And the Bible makes it very clear that when he comes back, he's going to place his feet upon the Mount of Olives. It's going to divide. And the Bible says very clearly here that when he comes, that all the saints are going to come with him. Let's have another scripture that can back that one up. Jude, and we're going to have a look at verse 14. Jude is the, the book just before Revelation. Jude and verse 14. <clears throat> and here, the context is very clearly of the day of the Lord, the second coming. And we see here in verse 14, and it says, And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. You want to back that up with another scripture? Take a look in Revelation chapter 19. We're not going to go in there right now. 
But Revelation chapter 19 makes it very clear that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns upon that white horse, the Bible says he's going to have a name written upon his thigh. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when he comes back, the Bible says that we're going to come back with him to Jerusalem to fight that battle. Well, the Lord's going to win that battle for his people. And what a day that's going to be. And um, But I'd like just this morning, first of all, I'd like to give four encouraging truths for the Christian. If you're a Christian here this morning, you need to be encouraged about the second coming. Because there are some wonderful promises in God's word for you. The first one is, is that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and we go to be with him, the Bible says that we're going to be ever present with the Lord. Let's have a look. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. We didn't read this verse, but we'll just uh, finish it here. Verse 17 says that then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We are going to be ever present with Jesus Christ when he returns. Wow, that's wonderful. Do you know that when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking with his disciples before he was going to be uh, uh, taken back to the glory, you know that his disciples were sad in their hearts because he was going to return and he was going away. But he says that the comforter will be with you. You know that the comforter came. And if you're a Christian here this morning, he is with you right now. It's the Holy Spirit and he dwells within you. But on that day, dear friends, we're going to be with the Lord face to face. Isn't that encouraging? And ever present with the Lord, never again, never to be separated physically from the Lord Jesus Christ. I get excited about that. Wow, what a time that's going to be. You know, heaven, the Bible makes it very clear, the glory. Why is it glory? It's glory because Jesus Christ is there. He makes it glorious. His radiance, his holiness. Heaven is a holy place. He dwells there and we're going to be with him and we're going to be there for eternity. That's wonderful. But not only are we ever going to be present with the Lord, but secondly, we're ever going to be praising him. There's a verse, Revelation chapter 15, and I don't know if you like to praise the Lord, but the Bible makes it clear that we're going to be praising him in the glory. Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3, and says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. I don't know if you like to praise and worship the Lord. I love it. You know, when I'm at home, I know Rolda's not here this morning, but she likes she said that she told me that she likes it when a man whistles. And if I'm not singing in the home, I'm whistling. 
I get up in the middle of the night sometimes and the first tune that will come on, upon my lips will be, have you been to Jesus? I love to worship the Lord. Do you love to worship the Lord? What are the first words? What are, what's the first song that comes upon your lips in the morning? Is it worship to the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says that we're ever going to be praising him and we're going to be singing the song of Moses. Wonderful. But not only are we going to be ever praising him, but thirdly, the Bible teaches very clearly that there's going to be ever-present light. Let's have a look. Revelation 22 and verse 5. Revelation 22 and verse 5. And it says here in verse 5, it says, And there shall be no, what's the next word? Night. There's going to be no midnight in the glory. It says, And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, for they shall reign forever and ever. You know, this is one scripture that if I ever have the opportunity, I would love to share with one of those miners that was brought up from the midst of the earth in the darkness. Months in darkness, without any natural daylight. Never saw the light of the sun. And if I ever have the opportunity, you know, we're going to Chile um, in a few weeks' time. And if we ever have, 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 have opportunity, I know Angelica's cousin, he was with the families because he's a pastor. He was with the families in the north of, uh, of Chile with these miners' families. And he has contacts. And if I ever get an opportunity, I'm going to share this scripture with them. The Bible says, and there shall be no night there. There's going to be no more midnight. Wonderful. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the light and he's going to radiate that place. It's going to be his glory. But not only ever present daylight, but fourthly, there's going to be, we're going to have ever, we're going to be ever present with the saints. Let's have a look at that verse. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Revelation 7 and verse 9. And here we see the saints around the throne and it says in verse 9, and after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, before Jesus, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. This is not speaking about angels. This is speaking about people that experienced salvation. It's speaking about you and me this morning, if you're a Christian, if you've experienced a new birth. The Bible says that you're going to be ever present with the saints. You're going to be present with saints from South America, from South Africa, from Australia, from all different nations and tongues. And we're going to be gathered around the throne. And we're going to be stood before the Lamb with palms, the Bible says, in our hands. We're going to be clothed in white robes. 
I don't know if you have um, a relative. I know that one or two here have relatives that have died, have passed on in the Lord. They've been Christians. And maybe in your hearts, deep down, that you're really missing them. But be encouraged, dear friends, that when that trumpet goes, there will be no more separation. You will be with your father, your mother, your sons, your daughters, your friends who have died in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't wait to meet Olive. I'm going to meet her again. I can't wait to meet my father-in-law. I'm going to be able to speak to him in English or whatever language that there is in glory. We're going to understand each other perfectly. Can't wait. And I'm going to be ever present with him, with the Lord. Is that going to be the same with you here this morning? Can you think of a, a loved one, a dear one? I'm sure, you, I'm sure that you can this morning. Well, those are four encouraging truths if you're a Christian here this morning. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to deal this morning with four discouraging truths for the non-Christian. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24 and verse 21, he says, For then shall be great tribulation. We believe that this is speaking about the time when the, the saints are going to be caught up and then Jesus Christ is dealing with the time here upon this earth. And he says, for then shall be great tribulation. And it's going to be a time that's going to last for seven years. It's spoken about in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. It's a time where God is going to judge, where he's going to deal with his people Israel. But in that judgment, he's going to bring about several things that are going to happen here upon this earth. And the people that are living upon this earth, whether you're a Jew or whether you're not, you're going to be involved in it. And you're going to, you're going to suffer some of these things that I'm going to speak about now. The first one is, is that you're going to be subject to earthquakes. Revelation chapter 6. And here we see, I believe, uh, John here is, he's, he's getting a vision of the, the seals that are, um, uh, are being opened. And you know that it was only the Lamb of God that could open these seals. It was only Jesus Christ that was worthy to open the seals and to show John what was going to happen here upon the earth. Okay? And um, we notice here in verse 12, some of these great uh, things that are going to happen in the Great Tribulation. It says here in verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a, what's the next word? Great earthquake not just an earthquake not just a tremor it's a great earthquake there is going to be a great earthquake happen in the great tribulation time i believe that we were reading about it before when we were looking in zechariah it's going to be a massive earthquake i don't know have you ever been in an earthquake have you you probably possibly been in a, in a tremor I know a few years back uh, there was a, um, the epicenter was Dudley, wasn't it, of all places? I don't know if you remember. It happened about one o'clock in the morning and I shot up out of bed and uh, it was only just a, a slight tremor, but you could feel it. Have you ever been in an earthquake? You know, one person that has been in an earthquake that hopefully we will never experience in our lifetime 
is my mother-in-law, Mama, as I call her, Angelica's mother. And it's an earthquake that happened in 1960 in a place called Valdivia. And you can find out about this earthquake. You go to the libraries, whatever, and you will find out that this was the most, it had the, the, the highest intensity ever recorded of an earthquake. It was actually 9.5 on the Richter scale. And do you know that 9.5 on the Richter scale is the magnitude of over 1,000 atom bombs going off at the same time. Now, you can take that or leave it. Go and find out for yourself. There are many places where you can find out about the intensity of earthquakes. And my mother-in-law, Angelica's mother, she was at, she was at the epicenter of this earthquake. And there was a great tsunami, and I've been in the area. We go most times when we travel to Chile, because this is where Angelica's mother's family live now. And there was um, a tsunami. And you'll notice one thing, that when you come to, um, to Valdivia, it is a place on the coast, and there are many inland lakes. And these are due to the sea coming over the land. And you'll see that there are many... Uh, inland lakes there because of this great earthquake. 9.5 on the Richter scales. We were talking with Angel Angelica's mother on the telephone Saturday night, I think it was last week, and they had an earthquake 45 miles away from Temuco where she lives right now. You know that she was in tears on the telephone. She was frightened. It only happened about 15 minutes after we called her. Uh, sorry, before, bef before we telephoned her. And she was in tears. She knows what an earthquake is all about. She was in another one. Less intensity. The Bible says, friends, that in the great tribulation, there's going to be a great earthquake. You don't want to be here when that happens. You do not. Not only are you going to be subject to earthquakes, but secondly, you're going to be subject to fearful sights. Revelation, I'm going to read the scripture. It says, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. And um, I think we can... Uh, that's in verse 12 and verse 13 of the same chapter. But the Bible makes it clear here that there are going to be fearful sights in the great tribulation. The Bible says that the sun is going to stop giving its light. The moon is going to become as blood, the Bible says. And then it says that the stars of heaven are going to fall to the earth. Can you imagine that? Have you ever seen the damage that a meteorite can make to the earth? I've seen one in Israel. The damage, the, the crater that these things leave. The Bible says here that the stars are going to fall from heaven upon the earth. Fearful sights, friends. Fearful sights. Not only fearful sights, but you're also going to be subject to the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. And... As I read this on Monday night, <clears throat> I tried to um, give an example of 
a person who could have so much authority upon the earth and how so many people could be following such an evil man. Well, there may be one or two in this room here tonight that has experienced an evil man that's been living here upon the earth, a man called Hitler. How could it ever happen? Well, these people are very powerful and very deceptive. And we know that a whole nation were deceived. A whole nation followed this man called Hitler. And if he wasn't stopped in his tracks by the Lord, he would have carried on. And people would have followed him as well. The Bible says that there is going to be a man upon this earth. He's called the Antichrist. And he's going to be a hundred times worse than Hitler. Believe me, he will be. And he's going to hate the Jews. He's going to hate Israel. And he's going to hate those that put their trust in Jesus Christ in the tribulation period. Let me just read something about his power. Revelation 13 verse 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. And notice this, it says, Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. You need to hear this this morning. If you're a non-Christian, you will, you will spend time upon this earth with that man. He's called the Antichrist. He's called the beast in Scripture. And the Bible says that he's going to dwell upon the earth and all are going to worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life. Can I ask a question this morning? Is your name written in the book of life? I asked myself that question 20 years ago. Got my testimony leaflet at the back. It tells all about this, what happened, and the scripture that brought me to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was from Revelation 20, verse 11, that says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in the book of life? There is a book written in heaven, and it's got names in it. Is your name written in that book? If you're not sure, why don't you make sure today and become a Christian? The Bible says that all, all those who are not going to put their trust in Jesus Christ shall worship the Antichrist. The Bible says that he's going to have power upon this earth. He's going to be able to have power upon you buying and selling and doing commerce. It's going to be so powerful. You don't want to be here upon the earth when that happens. But not only are you going to be subject to the Antichrist, but also, fourthly, you're going to be subject to a lost eternity. Revelation 20 and verse 5. Let's just read that verse. And speaking here about the judgment that's going to happen to those that have not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. And it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, dear friends, is going to be a place for eternity. It's, it's an eternal place of punishment. It's not a place of your just imagination. It's a place of torment. It's a place of unquenchable fire that will never go out. It's a place where you will dwell with the Antichrist and the false prophet for eternity and the devil and his angels. You don't want to be in a place like that. You do not. 
But you will be subject to a lost eternity if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in that book? Is it? I hope that you know this morning without a doubt that it is. If it isn't, why don't you trust Jesus Christ today for salvation? So I'd like to ask this question. Where will you be five minutes after midnight? If midnight signifies the return of Jesus Christ in the air, where are you going to be five minutes after? Are you going to be here upon this earth when these things are happening? What should we be doing five minutes before midnight? If we are living at the end times, which the pastor was clearly saying before uh, the message here this morning, that we are living at the last hour, we are. We don't know. The Lord's return is imminent. He may come today. He may come before this meeting is ever finished. It's imminent. What should we be doing five minutes before he returns? Five minutes before midnight. Well, if you are a Christian, there are a couple of things that you need to be doing. And I'd like you to turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. And the one thing that we should be doing in 2011 is to make every minute count for Jesus. Every minute. The first thing I want us to see here is that we need to live holy lives before God and before an unbelieving world. Rev uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. The start of the verse says, But sanctify the Lord God, where? In your hearts. Sanctify basically means to separate, to set apart, okay? The Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be set apart into your hearts. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Each and every one of you here this morning, if you are a Christian, that basically means that we need to be separate. We need to live separated lives from this world system. We need to live holy lives. How is an ungodly and an unbelieving world supposed to see Jesus Christ if he's not going to see them in your lives. How? Oh, we know that they can pick up a Bible, but what really is going to lead them to the Bible? It might be your life. It might be the way that you're living. It might be something different that you are doing that they're not doing. You need to live. We need to live holy lives, set apart, sanctified unto the Lord. Secondly, we need to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to tell the unbelieving and ungodly world that there is a time coming upon this earth of great tribulation and that there is a judgment coming ahead. We need to warn people. Do we really believe that he could come back any minute? Well, if we do, we would be more evangelistic. We would. Let me just go on. And read the rest of that verse. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And then it says, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We've been speaking here this morning about the hope that is set for us in the glory. And if that hope is real in your hearts and lives this morning, 
We need to be giving people an answer. How to find that hope. I'd like to challenge you for the year 2011. We don't know how many months we're going to be here before the Lord comes back. But I'd like to challenge you to be more evangelistic. All of us need to do it. We need to be ready always. In season, the Bible says, and out of season. We need to be living holy lives, but we need to be witnessing for our Lord. Telling people about Jesus. Leading them to the word of God. And if you're a non-Christian here this morning, the, the one thing that you need to do, and you need to do that here today, is that you need to become a Christian today. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be or maybe, shall be saved. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time, not tomorrow. How do you become a Christian? It's simple. You ask Jesus Christ to forgive you for all of your sins and to turn away from them and to turn to Jesus Christ. You believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose again the third day and he's coming back. And you ask Jesus Christ to come into your hearts. Even children can understand that. We call it the ABC. But it's not easy because we need to humble ourselves and accept that we are sinners and we have done wrong, we need to do that. It's simple. If you have any questions, if we can be of any help, maybe we can pray with you. Please don't leave this church today without knowing that your name is written down here in the glory, in the book of life. Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for your precious word. We thank you, dear Lord, that you are coming back. You are returning, dear Lord, and we are returning, dear Lord, for your saints and that we shall ever be with you in the glory. We thank you, Lord, for that day. We thank you for the hope that we have, and that hope is like an anchor for our souls. And dear Lord, help us, we pray, to live holy lives and to set you apart in our hearts and, Lord, to witness for you as much as we can in this new year. And dear Lord, if there's one in here in this room today that is not a Christian, oh Lord, we know that you love that person, that individual, because the Bible says that God so loved the world and you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Thank you, dear Lord, that you love each and every one of us here in this room today. Oh Lord, we just pray that that individual may accept Jesus Christ today as their saviour. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.